With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, if this is the cold open, shouldn't we be wearing sweatshirts and knit hats? Hey, here we go. Second choice in the draft, the San Diego Chargers select quarterback, Washington State University, Ryan Leaf. Here he is, Ryan Leaf, 16. Is the ceiling higher on him, perhaps? Well, I really believe, Chris, when you look back at this trade, San Diego moving up from three to two. Five years from now, it may not look like Bobby Beathard gave up enough. This kid has tremendous potential, great physical ability, throws the ball all over the field. And I think when you look at San Diego, they were fortunate to have this pick. They tried to trade away the 98 first round pick in the second round last year. So Bobby Beathard fortunate to have that choice to get a Ryan Lee. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to get weird. That's right. The Let's Get Weird podcast has returned. And this week we have one of the more interesting happenings ever when it comes to the NFL draft, and one that slightly relates to our own beloved Drew Brees. We're going to investigate Ryan Leaf and what happened with him after the 1998 NFL draft, where he was famously taken second after Peyton Manning. And of course, is related to our own Drew Brees, because if Leaf does not flame out in San Diego... There's a very good chance Breeze is not drafted by the Chargers, and who knows how his career turns out from there. So, it could be argued that the greatest passer in NFL history may not have been the greatest passer in NFL history if Ryan Leaf had not had a complete and utter meltdown. So, and this has all started because our good friend Paul Banks at the Sports Bank has gotten an exclusive with Ryan Leaf recently and did a post on him. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. This is really maybe one of the best interviews I've ever done. Certainly the most compelling, certainly among the most interesting. And I would argue maybe one of the most important interviews I've ever done because, I mean, we are going to get weird. There's a lot of weird stuff here, but it's a lot of seriousness too, because we're going to be, we're going to be talking football, but we're going to be talking. What makes Ryan Leaf interesting is what happened to him off the field. 
and and that's a good point because it, this story does have a bit of a happy ending, and the guy went through a ton of stuff off the field, and obviously had some severe issues of uh, he had to work through himself, and. I, I'm just a little bit reminded of an article that I read on Sports Illustrated yesterday about former Indiana receiver James Hardy, where that one obviously did not have a happy ending as he flamed out of the NFL really quick, partially because of injuries and everything, partially because of maybe some off-the-field stuff, and things really went south for him, and he ended up committing suicide a year ago. And so that's that's your infamous, you know, very bad ending, but Leaf had a lot go wrong for him off the field, but he is recovering and he's trying to make the best of what was a bad situation right now. Yeah. If you look at where he is now, I mean, obviously his career would be long over and he's got a show. He's got a show on, on Sirius XM. It's a PAC 12 show. He hosts in the mornings on weekdays. He's, he's on PAC 12 network. So he does some color, some color work too. And really by this point in his life, that's where most, NFL players would be, they would have those kind of gigs. But of course, the road he took to get there is definitely not the road anybody would want to go on. It's certainly the rockiest road possible. And obviously, during his speech, he would not, he said that that he would not um, suggest anybody deal with the path that he's had, and he wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, today he's, he's a motivational speaker. He's a recovery advocate. He speaks of his own story of recovering from addiction, and he goes around the country uh, giving speeches, trying to reach those who need help the most. He tries to reach those struggling with addiction. And I saw him give a speech, same speech essentially twice that day. It was um, Friday, no- November 2nd. Yeah, Friday, November 2nd. <clears throat> He gave one um, longer version of the speech, and then I also had an exclusive with him in the private car with his with his driver that he had as he went from the. Okay, Otis, you know, yeah, that's that's Otis, our other uh, member of the podcast here. He was actually mm-hmm. napping the whole time until just now, so that's unfortunate. But um, <clears throat> I saw Ryan. It's just really weird how in life the first college football game I ever attended as a student. Um, the opposing quarterback of, yeah, the road team's quarterback. 21 years later, I'm riding around in a Cadillac Escalade on Michigan Avenue, and I'm, I have an exclusive with them. It's just funny how life takes you on the on that path. Yeah, that is. Uh, it, it's amazing to see that. And I always love some of these uh, random non-conference games that our respective <laughs> schools play because you never do know who is going to come through on the other team. I remember my freshman year at Purdue, I think it was my freshman year. Yeah. Purdue played central Florida and it was a very young Drew Brees against Dante Culpepper. And what would happen like 10 years later or so between the uh, dolphins and <laughs> between the dolphins, who are they going to choose Drew Brees or Dante Culpepper? You know, that's the first thing I said to him. I'm like, you know, my first game, First play from scrimmage, bam, 80-yard touchdown pass. And he's like, oh, you went to Illinois. And I'm like, yeah. And I I remember that Washington State was ranked 19. Actually, I looked it up, and I saw they were ranked 19. They won by 12, which if you look back and you see that that Illini team was winless, 
and that Washington State team went to the Rose Bowl. That seems kind of crazy that they only won by 12, but uh, Ryan Leaf told me they covered the spread in that game, and they covered the spread in every single game that season. And I'm looking at the Illinois schedule that year. Ironically, you guys played the Pac-10 winner. You did not play the Big Ten winner. <laughs> oh, Michigan was off the schedule. Well, that, yeah, that one you guys played Iowa, Penn State, Wisconsin, Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, Ohio State, Michigan State. With with the story of Ryan Leaf, like I mean, where, where should we begin? Should we begin with his college? I, I think we can. Or? I think we can probably just kind of go back to what he meant for Washington at the time, because Washington State football. Obviously, they've had some major ups and downs uh, of late. They had the, they've had some pretty bad seasons in the infamous Crapple Cup a few years ago, where they had one win over an FCS team and they were playing a winless Washington for the Apple Cup. Uh, but they've they've had some history, and that season he ends up taking them to the Rose Bowl. So he's kind of like their own breeze, if you will. I, I know I keep bringing breeze up here. But he is kind of like their own breeze because they had not been to a Rose Bowl since 1930 with head coach Babe Hollingberry, which was great. Another great name. Well, well, Babe Hollingberry. I mean, you couldn't stop him. Uh, they also went to the 1915 Rose Bowl with a coach by the name of William Henry Dietz. And William Henry Dietz was a Purdue head coach for one season in 1921, uh, four years after he had taken or six years after he took Washington State to the Rose Bowl. He was Purdue coach for one season, and he was actually fired because he was illegally recruiting players, I believe. (laughs) So a little bit of a tie-in there also to Purdue. And uh, William Henry Dietz, if we're going to get weird, let's get weird. He claimed to be a Native American, And it was never proven that he was a Native American. And there is a very good chance that he was actually faking that he was a Native American. Only ancestry DNA existed back then. (laughs) But anyway, we we go back and after the 1930 Rose Bowl, Washington State did not go to a bowl game at all for 50 years. And then they went to they went to one with Jim Walden in 1980. They went to one under Dennis Erickson in 1988. Uh, they won the Aloha Bowl in 1988 for their first bowl win since the 1915 Rose Bowl. Uh, then you get Mike Price coming in. He takes them to a couple bowls and then gets them a Pac-12 title and gets them to the Rose Bowl in 1997. So you're looking at a 67-year drought there between conference championships and Rose Bowl appearances, which is, if not the longest drought, it's definitely up there. I'm not sure what Northwestern's drought was when they went in 95. Do you happen to know that one? 1949 to 1995. Okay, so so that was nothing compared to this. So that's how big of a deal he was in 1997. There really was a whole... There was a legitimate argument is should the Colts pick him over Peyton Manning and growing up in Indiana and following the Colts and for most of the 90s and everything I remember going to several games in that 97 season and it was the rundown of Jim Harbaugh's career and he was hurt and the Colts started 0-10 so there was absolutely nothing 
to hope for except for the Colts. Who were they going to pick because they were going to get the number one pick very likely. And it was a legitimate argument going up to it. There were several that several people thought that they should have picked Ryan Leaf. And he had the stats. He threw for nearly 4,000 yards, 34 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He even could run just a little bit. Uh, had six rushing touchdowns that season. And I think what it ultimately came down to is the Colts went with the pedigree and the name of Manning, who even finished just ahead of Leaf in the Heisman voting because Manning was second in the Heisman voting. Uh, Leaf was third. So these two were neck and neck for that number one draft pick. And that may be the ultimate Heisman trophy finalist class of all time, which Leaf often mentions when he does interviews. It was Peyton Manning himself, Charles Woodson, and Randy Moss. All three, arguably Mount Rushmore at their position, and then him. That's just, that's so fascinating because he had all the physical tools. He uh, he could have been that guy, but apparently... It was the interviews that made the difference. Manning, obviously, he comes off as so polished now and has always been so polished and whatnot, whereas it says here Leaf was a, described as self-confident to the point where some people view him as being arrogant and almost obnoxious. Well, a lot of that kind of goes back to his upbringing, at least from how he describes it, because he's the first in, I believe he's, well, I know he was first. He may be the only... Montana native ever drafted in the NFL. And one of um, the little jokes he tells at his speech is that there are, there have been more NFL draftees in the Manning family than the entire state of Montana. Wow. And he just was considered a God and he let it go to his head because he was from uh, great falls, Montana. He was from the small town and he just thought he was better because of what a great athlete he was and he was treated that way. And he, you know, uh, the, the Ryan leaf story of why he didn't make it in the NFL, it seems to have a lot to do with, he just didn't take accountability for his actions and he didn't, he just wasn't grounded. And it was pretty hard for him to be grounded and self-aware when, I mean, look at his high school background, look at his college, everything he achieved. And that's kind of how we got here. And, and it's interesting to see the divergence of the two franchises with the Chargers and the Colts since that moment, because obviously the Colts with Manning, they get one Super Bowl, they get they end up in another. They're relevant for most of the next two decades in the NFL, and arguably it probably kept the Colts in Indianapolis with getting a new stadium with Lucas Oil Stadium, getting a Super Bowl put here as a result of the stadium later leading to uh, Andrew Luck, and he's turning the franchise around now after a couple of down years, whereas San Diego, uh, they traded the farm to get him to move up one pick. They traded a first-round pick, the number three pick that year, uh, a future first-rounder, a second-round pick, and a three-time Pro Bowler to the Arizona Cardinals. And... (laughs) That is, uh, that's just a lot to give up right away. And it's kind of like a uh, Ricky Williams with the Saints kind of thing where you really don't want to give up that much for just one player. But the uh, the Chargers end up striking out on Leaf. They have 
Breeze for a while. He gets hurt and in, ends up signing as a free agent with New Orleans. They've got Rivers, but they never were able to have that postseason success. And ultimately, they end up leaving for Los Angeles as a result. And it is entirely possible that if the two had been switched draft-wise, Manning wins a Super Bowl or two in San Diego, and Ryan Leaf flames out, the Colts are awful, and the Colts end up moving to Los Angeles because they can't keep him here. Yeah, and it really is the ultimate story of two roads diverging in, in completely opposite directions. I mean, NFL Network, have, when they do their list shows, their, you know, their TV version of a listicle, it rated him the number one draft bust of all time. And Peyton Manning, I mean, do you want to list out all, all the records Peyton Manning has and all the accomplishments? Um, well, they keep being broken by Breeze, so... <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> but I'm biased. So anyway, let, let, let's go to his NFL career where some of the weirdness really started right at the beginning, uh, including uh, skipping a final day of a symposium mandatory for all NFL draftees, and he's fined $10,000 before he even has a practice, let alone a, a regular season snap. And he said in one of the interviews leading up to it that, what would you do with um, your signing bonus? And he said, oh, I would go to Las Vegas and just party. And Peyton Manning gave, you know, a typical corporate speak, yearbook type answer, which was another clue as, as to what was going to happen. Um, Leaf said that him being handed $31 million and this is 1998, so you finance majors can do like a discounted future cash flows to find the net present value of that. He said that's like th handing $31 million to a 13-year-old, and that's kind of where um, the meltdown started. Well, yeah, it, and, it's, and it, was, it was guaranteed money, too. That's also when you could hold out and negotiate your contract. That's just nuts, too. Right. So he wins his first two games, and he was the first quarterback to do that since 1983. Um, I forgot which one it was, but 83 was obviously known as like the uh, famous quarterback draft classes of all draft classes. And then comes the Kansas City Chiefs in week three, and he went one of 15 passing for four yards believe three interceptions and two fumbles, or maybe it was two interceptions and three fumbles, but five turnovers. Anytime you complete more passes to the other team than you do to your own teammates, it's bad. So Jay Posner of the San Diego Union Tribune uh, put a little note in his article from that game. Uh, it was just like a tiny note kind of buried down about Leaf uh, blowing up at at, a, at a, a locker room attendant or like a towel boy for the team. So the next time uh, Posner goes in to interview him, that's where we get. And uh, Leaf was very open about this. He said, this was before the days of viral videos, but this is who most people knew him as. The viral video of him blowing up at a reporter and Junior Seau and another member of the Chargers having to like pull him back. And that's how a lot of people like knew that was kind of, and that was... That's the iconic image of Ryan Leaf, the NFL player, was that little. I mean, it's un, it's grossly unfair that people get reduced to sound bites or, or you know, snippets of video. But because he never did, he never uh, 
did much in the NFL. That's kind of how people knew him, and it was in, and it was iconic of his of his uh, flaming out. And, and I'm looking at his stats from that season, and it's not like he's backing it up on the field. 1,289 yards passing in 10 games, so about 129 yards a game. Two touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Uh, quarterback rating of 39.0, which I believe is below the number it is if you just threw complete intercept or complete incompletions, no interceptions whatsoever, and just spiked the ball into the turf every passing attempt. Oh, yeah, I do remember hearing that. I, f- I forgot how it's computed, but that's true. Like, if you just throw a bunch of incompletions, but none of them are turnovers, you'd have a higher passer rating. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> I mean, those are, you know, I hate to pile on to the guy. Those are Nathan Peterman numbers, if not worse. And this is from the number two pick in the draft. And uh, then you later have... Uh, Rodney Harrison describing it as, quote, a nightmare you can't even imagine. If I had to go through another year like that, I would probably quit playing. And this is Rodney Harrison, who was one of the leaders of the entire Chargers defense. Well, he he won four games as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He saw action in three seasons, two two with San Diego, one with Dallas. Um, He was on an NFL roster for four and he actually said the average NFL career span is two and a half years. So he greatly surpassed that. And he retired from football at the age of two. Oh, he learned about the Chargers cutting him while he was on his honeymoon. And he found out via a newspaper article. And, and, and that was after missing his second season with a torn labrum in his shoulder. Which, uh, again, not a healthy, not, not something you want if you're using your shoulder a lot. And... Uh, you're throwing in your second NFL season and you lo- you're done before the year even starts. And so you lose that entire year of just practice and training camp and learning the offense and you're sidelined there. So that's, that's yet another thing that's going to hold the poor guy back. Right. And he, so yeah, so injury and that's, um, that's really important that you brought that up because that is the key segue to, to what happens to him after football is, all the pain that he endured physically, he got introduced to Vicodin, the painkiller Vicodin. So he retired from football at 26 with a 48.4 completion percentage, 14 TD passes, 36 interceptions, 3,666 yards passing, and a passer rating of 50. Peyton Manning holds the record for touchdown passes, MVP awards, Pro Bowl appearances, 4,000-yard passing seasons, single-season passing yardage, single-season passing touchdowns, and... Most career- times shouted, cut that meat. And, yes, and Papa John's commercials, and career passing yards up until Breezes uh, surpassed them um, in September. So, yeah, I mean, that's... you talk, That is such a divergence. And, like you mentioned, there's all the off-the-field stuff, too. You have him... Uh, potentially lying about a hand injury to go play golf instead of uh, practice, which uh, after after missing a year, you need as much practice as you can there, homeboy. A number of injuries. You have the extremely short stint where he got the second chance with the Cowboys and even uh, even started a few games for him. Seattle uh, and Tampa gave him a shot, but he never uh, he never played. But he was but they signed him. 
I mean, he was considered the reason the, the debate between him and Manning. Manning was the accomplished guy, the finished product, the polished versus Leaf was the upside. You know, he was he's six foot five. He just had all the the cannon for an arm. You're like, this could be the guy who could just even surpass. I mean, that that's that was the gamble of it. And obviously didn't pay off. And that's that's unfortunate. But as you said, you know, he ends up flopping out and retiring long before he had even imagined it. And then then it also gets weird after he uh, is done with football. So we can go ahead with that part of the story, too. His speech was was really poignant and moving because he talked about all the little choices we make in life. And they seem small and minor at the time, but how they all add up and then lead us on a path to where we make a major choice. And he said something about if he told his 18-year-old self, he'd be staring at a house telling himself, am I going to go break in? Am I going to go burglarize this house to go steal uh, painkillers? And if you told him when he's in high school and he's ready to go to Washington State, he'd say there's there's just no way that would happen. Ryan Leaf attends a boxing match in Las Vegas, and the announcer is is calling attention to all the celebrities at ringside. Charles Barkley was one of them. Uh, there are a few others that all received applause, and there were people cheering. But when but when Ryan Leaf was announced, it elicited nothing but booze. It ate just hit him really hard. And this is where the real down, downward spiral for him begins because obviously he'd been used to the concept of being booed during his playing career, but it's a completely different animal from this scenario because when you're with your teammates and as, as he put it, the protective armor of the helmet and the uniform and just of course, you're the road team. Of course, you're going to be booed. It's just it just comes with the territory. But this time, he felt like he was being deemed subhuman because he's just sitting there, just just hanging out. And at this point, he's he's out of the public eye, and he doesn't really care to be in the public eye. So after the fight, he then went to a party, and he was. Um, introduced some other types of prescription pills and mixing uh, the painkillers with alcohol. And then he just becomes horribly addicted to to painkillers. And that, that just became the focus of his day every day was, was how do I get these pills? And, and for a while it had been pretty easy for him because he could just show x-rays to a doctor and they, he would just tell him about his career and all the hits he took and, he even said, like, he'd look at the at the doctor's desk and be like, "Oh, here's a photo of of some kids or something." He's like, "I'll, I'll sign a couple sign a couple footballs." And and as he said, the doctor was his drug dealer until the, until the doctors couldn't satisfy his urge anymore, and then things start to really get dark. Oh yeah, and it's just I I can't imagine getting into that. And like you said, with the with the whole story about the fight in Vegas. You go from being the hero to the villain, and yeah, some of it was his fault, some of it wasn't his fault. You know, if you get crunched and you tear your labrum like he did in his second year, how do, how is that going to affect his career and everything? And that also adds to it. Plus, it's Las Vegas. Who's? I mean, are there really that many Chargers fans that are that upset about it? 
you know, and it looks like here just he was trying to live his life until then, and he gets into the painkillers, and that just made a bad situation worse. Right, and that's where um, you know this podcast gets really serious because addiction is something that everybody probably knows. It's everybody knows somebody who has battled these demons or is battling these demons, and it hits close to home for just about everybody. And I hope that. The main takeaway, I hope that people listening to this podcast, I hope that's the main takeaway of just how serious uh, the mental health issues are that are involved with addiction. Because, like I said, football is is way down on the list of what's really interesting and meaningful about Ryan Leaf. And that's where he kind of found his purpose. And he's no longer getting pills uh, prescribed to him. And that's when he starts to rack up the arrests. Beginning in 2010, he was sentenced to 10 years probation by a Texas judge. Two years later, he pled guilty to felony burglary and drug possession in Montana. After a suspended sentence with a stint in drug rehabilitation, Leaf began serving a seven-year sentence in state prison in December 2012. Into Oh, here's where... Um, this is what he calls uh, the darkest day of his life. This was when he, um, hearkening back to uh, your reference to James Hardy, whose story ended in suicide, he, he, he was Googling ways to commit suicide. It was, it was April 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. And he slit his wrist, and that didn't, didn't accomplish what he was setting out to do. So then he was driving to his to his parents' house, and this was this was from an interview from uh, WBUR where he said he was looking for a noose to try to hang himself. And on that same day, he went into a house and was arrested for burglary. And you know, he made a great point in his speech. He said this a couple in both speeches. He said, "He's like you're breaking into these houses in Montana where everybody has a gun." And it's a joke, but it's a dark joke. And he's lucky to be here when you consider that. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to commit suicide is to, well, break into a house where somebody has a gun. And he said every day he got up, the whole point of his day was to get pills. Whether it took him two hours, then his day was finished. Whether it took him all day, that's what he did. And, and, and that's very telling is like, I, I'm another podcast I regularly listen to is Jay and Silent Bob get old. And it was actually started as an intervention podcast for Jason Muse because he was very much the same way uh, when he was playing Jay in the movies in Dogma. And then later in Jay and Silent Bob strike back, he was also addicted to painkillers, addicted to heroin and everything else. And he's been very upfront about it too. He's like the, he would talk about going somewhere and he would try to ration what drugs he did have. And then he would use them too fast. And then he's like, okay, now I'm getting dope sick and I've got to find another way to get drugs. And his entire, his entire day was about to get the drugs and just to get through the next few moments to get that high. And, you know, it's, it's a tough road and I can understand why he's at the end of his rope because when your choices are suicide or continuing that existence, you know, I, I can see where he would get down to that bad, but 
as you mentioned, though, we do have a happy story. I mean, obviously, this has been one of our, uh, probably our most serious, let's get weird. Uh, obviously, December of 2014, and so was kind of the downside. And what's what's he been up to lately? Let's let's bring this up a bit and bring the mood up a bit. Right. He um, he basically said that during this point, he the paint he didn't feel great. He just didn't feel anything. He was just numb, and that's what these painkillers did. They killed the pain to make it numb. But the way to get to escape that is to find purpose, to find meaning. And basically, I, th- I believe he was in prison for 36 months, and really nothing happened until the 27th month where an inmate who was in there for uh, vehicular manslaughter who, who killed someone a drunk driving, told him to go down to the prison library and help teach another inmate to read. And this was like an awakening form in which he started to do something else for another person. And that kind of began. And and then, you know, just to be clear, I mean, addiction is not something where, you know, you go through it and then you overcome it. I mean, there, there's ups and downs. I mean, he was, he told the story where he was clean for 18 months. And then he was house sitting and he just opened the medicine cabinet and there was some, some Vicod in there. They were in his mouth before he even knew what had happened. But when you actually look at the whole trajectory now and you see where he is, I mean, I can't think of a more inspirational tale. I mean, I can't think of, I mean, where he is today and then how he got there. He, he took a job out of prison for $15 an hour. And the guy who hired him, he got he got so the guy who hired him got so sick of, of him calling. I mean, that's how much he had to like. I mean, he's got a criminal record, he's an inmate, he had to that's how hard it is, you know, to get a job. And the guy's like, Oh, this guy's got the same name as that football player, and he keeps calling me. But it turns out that guy was a big sports fan and he gave him a shot. And um today he's a program ambassador for Transed Recovery Community. It's a group of sober living houses and Los Angeles, Houston, and New York. Um, A program recovery advocate is another um, term. I mean, I I went down to West Garfield Park for this story. I went down to, it's called Above and Beyond Family Recovery Center. And if any of our listeners know someone who's dealing with this or is someone who's dealing dealing with this, I highly suggest you look into what they're doing and how they do it. You can go to above and beyond frc.org that's above and beyond frc.org and they deal with um rational emotive behavior therapy that was created by albert ellis in 1955 so for once in my life my psychology degree from school actually came in handy hey there you go this is first for everything (laughs) hey my degree's in tv production and uh i i had a job where a guy I had a job here over the summer where a guy uh, basically would not let me run the camera on a small uh, 30-second video. So there's that. <laughs> it's never smooth on the road of life, is it? Oh, no. But, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's, sometimes it's all, it is all it takes is someone at the bottom, and you do give them that chance. And it's really amazing to see that he has done the best that he can uh, – with that chance. And I know on your site, you've got video of his speech and all that, and it is inspiring. And, you know, just 
yeah, he got all the money to start his career, and I don't know how much of it he still has, None. but he left a lot of that on the table, and it just seems like that's not his focus, and that's wonderful. His focus is like, okay, I screwed up 10, 15, 20 years of my life. How do I rectify that and give back? I mean, the really, it's, it's, it's about purpose, and you just said the word bottom, and that was, um, there's a reason my story on the sportsbank.net my link to it is my pin tweet. It's going to be my pin tweet for a while. Um, if you want to keep up with him, you can go to at Ryan D leaf. That's his Twitter handle. It, he's got a blue check Mark. Um, like I said, he's got a radio show. He's got a TV presence. He's chairman of a nonprofit called focused intensity.org. Uh, F I F. Um, he was wearing that hat during the speech. It's, it's about hitting rock bottom and then bouncing. And that is, when you said the word bottom, it just, I, that to me is the main takeaway from the interview is that when you hit rock bottom, do you bounce up? And is that, and the bottom is different for everybody. And for him, he said bottom was lying on the floor in a prison cell. It's unfortunate. And the really, and he really wanted to drive home a point during his speech that he really hopes that rock bottom for others is not like in the case of James Hardy, like you mentioned, that rock bottom doesn't end with uh, a final destination because as long as you're alive, there's other, you can always turn it around. You can always, you can always come back. And um, the opioid crisis is obviously a major issue right now in this country. And the work that Ryan Leaf is doing, um, he's based in Los Angeles, but he came to Chicago. He, he spoke at uh, the Drake Hotel. And it was really between that day, I went from I went to the recovery center in one of the roughest neighborhoods in Chicago to this banquet, to this gala at probably the ritziest hotel in the ritziest neighborhood in Chicago. But the whole point of going those two opposite ends is that mental health issues and addiction issues plague everybody the same. These are two diseases that do not care where you come from or what you've done because in 1998, what guy didn't want to be Ryan Leaf? You, you were an NFL starting quarterback and you had $36 million. And I really hope that when people listen to this podcast, they don't think we were piling on when we were talking about how poor he was at football because seeing his feet, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you all that. He'll be the first to say all these things. And I really hope that people take away from this that what he's doing now matters so much more because he's got such a higher purpose. And really, to me, I've, my biggest takeaway was that's really kind of how you get through all this is, is, is having that purpose every day. He's got, he's, he's recently had a son, less than a year old. He's, he's going to be married again. Um, and every day he's got to get up and he has to do a show. And, you know, you could still see the intensity in him when he talks obviously a very large man and he's got a very commanding presence and he's a nice guy. He's being pleasant, but he's, he, he does have, he is very imposing. And I do hope that that helps get his message across and it reaches the people who are most vulnerable and it helps reach the people who need it the most. And also he's got to do all of this while still battling his own addiction issues. Because like they say with most addicts or with every addict, really, 
is you're never past them. There's always that chance for relapse. And, you know, moments are, some moments are easier than others. Some are harder than others. And it's still dealing with that and, you know, using what he does with his message that he's presenting, that in and of itself can be a way to stay sober and stay clean. You know, that's what, that's what, uh, Jason Muse does on his podcast is he does the podcast now as a way of publicly, uh, owning, owning his own addiction and owning what he went through and staying accountable for everybody that listens and everybody that attends the live podcasts and everything as the, okay, now I'm staying sober so I can do this. And I'm talking about what I went through and how awful it was so I can be this inspiration and help others out of it. And that, that also there's power in that, not just for him, but for what he's doing, uh, for what he's doing with everybody else too. Right. And, and that was a very important message in his speech is that asking for help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And obviously football is a very machismo, um, extreme testosterone driven, you know, you've got to show who's the biggest badass possible. And then prison, as he said, obviously prison is that world times a million. You have to overcome. I really hope that people listen to him and then it helps to get rid of the stigmas, the stigma that overcome the stigma of, of asking for help. That the idea that you're soft, if you have to ask for help, the idea that, the, the stigmas uh, of mental health, the stigmas of addiction. I think that's how we, we move past that is when you realize that it can hit anybody. And I was amazed by how grounded he is today, how well he handles, because he still is up there commanding the room. He still is up there performing in a way like he was as a player because the attention's on him. You know, he, he used the word brand a couple times when I was discussing recruiting like these recruiting services, how these kids are building their brand and how much they get all this hype when they're just high school kids. Because obviously that was a big part of his story. A big part of his story and his development was how he was a local deity before he accomplished a lot. And with these kids today and, you know, all the hype they get, how to stay grounded. And he, he said at the towards the end of a speech at the Drake that he isn't really comfortable with applause yet. He's used to being the villain. He's used to being hated. And he wanted to make a point that everybody else's story is just as important as his. It's just that, I mean, he didn't say this, but obviously we know that he's a celebrity, so that's what commands the attention. But Mm -hmm. he wanted to, you know, really made it be known that his story is just as impactful as anyone else's. And... Like I said, I, I felt like this was one of the most important stories I've ever done. Uh, and that, and that's good. And I know that we didn't have the usual laughs and the weirdness here and everything else. There are a couple odd moments, but it is important to be able to tell these stories, to give back and to help anybody that is fighting through pretty much any addiction because you can have a wide variety of addictions out there. Every, everybody seems to struggle with something and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're struggling at all. And there's nothing wrong with, as you said, with going for help. That is a sign of strength is realizing that you can't handle it all. And, 
you know, even, even I, I, I've been very guilty of that myself within my own life and dealing with, you know, a lot of other things and whatnot. And it's being able to kind of admit that you can't handle it and then finding that balance and going forward. It's just, it's nice to see somebody using the platform that they've been given to put forth that message. Right. And that's why it just drives me completely bonkers when I hear the word adversity misused in every press conference and every interview. It's like you were trailing in a football game. Like you lost a couple games. Like that's not adversity. Um, we all have it in different ways. Um, I'm not going to get into mine, but obviously, you know, my story, you know, the adversity I've had. Obviously, Ryan Leaf is very open about his you know, I mean, we, we do we do a sports history podcast here and we get into like the weird stuff. And yeah, sure, we usually laugh a lot more about these kind of things. But, you know, I kind of like to, but we also kind of do what's off the field or the stuff that goes beyond the box score. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this. And we, we had a couple laughs here. There was some weird stuff here and there, but. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to do go back to the beginning and do the, tonight on a very special let's get weird podcast. <laughs> it does like this does this does feel like uh the, the after school special like like we would be playing fun music and then it just stops and then you hear like sad piano music when we intro this <laughs> well I, i'm sure that our next one will probably be You're a laughing now that's good yeah yeah uh, so I'm, I'm trying to remember what we've talked about for the next one. I know one of them that I had suggested to you on a lark, uh, again, borrowing from the wonderful dollop, uh, the infamous Rue Boidel, which I, I hope you had a chance to read about him a little bit. This guy was just absolutely crazy back in the day. Yeah, he chased a fire truck off the pitcher's mound. Yeah, more than once. Like he would like if a fire truck went past the ballpark, he would chase a fire truck out of the stadium and he would also be distracted by shiny objects in the stands. And the, the guy was probably certifiably nuts. And, but he was the greatest pitcher of his era next to Cy Young and eventually went into the hall of fame. <laughs> and I noticed he played against the Louisville Colonels and the Louisville Colonels. I know of the team that had a player named chicken wolf who, <laughs> Wow. Got it inside the park home run because the outfielder trying to field the ball was chased by a rabid dog. <laughs> I think we should do that one next. What do you think? Uh, I, I think so, especially when uh, I'm just looking at the room's Wikipedia here. And um, <clears throat> it, it has been suggested that he had developmental disability, mental retardation, autism, or attention deficit disorder. Not much was known about them at the time. Though eccentric and childlike, he was not illiterate, although he claimed to have lost track of how many women he had married. Well, who hasn't, right? <laughs> he was also an alligator wrestler off the field. <laughs> and an alligator wrestler? So he was Florida man in before we had the internet. Uh, yeah, he, he was Florida man born in Bradford, Pennsylvania, but yeah, the, the, the Rube, if you've not heard about him, I think we will have to touch on him the next time, uh, borrow a little bit more from the dollop and, 
everything else because this guy uh, is one of baseball's first and maybe one of baseball's most eccentric personalities ever. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that we're influenced by the dollop. And we know what I was saying earlier before about how we cover these stories beyond the box score and off the field. It, you know, we, we, I think we've got some 30 for 30 in us. I think we've got some Comedy Central drunk history here. I think mm. we're an amalgam of that. <laughs> so, so anyway, after this very special episode of... The well, the other idea I had is I read this book on March Madness um, this spring. It was like the greatest games in March Madness history. And the starting point guard on Villanova in 85 probably still had cocaine in his bloodstream during the Final Four. Oh, I'm just going to assume that anybody that was playing sports or was semi-famous in the early 80s had cocaine in their bloodstream. That's true. I, I love that part in uh, Bill Simmons in the Book of Basketball where he's like, pre-1984 NBA was basically everybody would try to snort the free throw line. <laughs> <laughs> At least until Lynn Bias dropped dead. But yeah, it's, it's, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> you know, I always say that that's what scared me shitless of cocaine was Lynn Bias because that was... Like, I was just a little kid, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of cocaine was when he overdosed. And that just made me think it was, like, the most serious shit you could ever deal with. So we're going to have to bleep a lot of this out. But I'm not high-strung enough as it is. I do not need to uh, do something. <laughs> I don't need to do something that's going to make me even more high-strung. So anyway. I don't know. You always seem kind of chill to me. Oh, I, I can put forth a quiet persona and calm persona on the surface, but inside I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Who the hell put me in charge? Like Beaker from the Muppets? Kind of, yeah. Anyway, so that will that will end our very special Let's Get Weird podcast tonight. So, uh, so for Paul and myself and our sound engineer on the left coast, Juan, we appreciate you listening, and next time we get on one of these, we'll probably talk a little bit about The Rube. We promise more laughs, yes. Yes, definitely.